We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. In this episode of the Finding Peace Podcast, there is a brief description of suicidal ideation, as well as a brief description of someone experiencing physical and sexual abuse. Listener discretion advised. Welcome to the Finding Peace podcast. If you've listened to the podcast before and we don't have a guest on, then you know that somewhere in the podcast I'm usually answering a question. And to be completely honest, most of the questions that I am answering are questions that I came up with myself based on what people have asked me in other settings. So I'm really, really excited because a listener, a podcast listener, actually sent me an email and asked me a question. (laughs) Oh, I'm so freaking excited. So today I am going to answer that question. Here is what the listener asked. I recently discovered your podcast, as in yesterday. While I was looking for a distraction from the chaos that is currently in my romantic relationship, something I've noticed you mention in almost every episode of your podcast are attachment scars. I feel like I'm able to use context and clues to get a general understanding of what you are referring to, but I'd really love to know your definition of attachment scars. If you have the time, and find it appealing, I would love to hear an episode where you do a deep dive into attachment scars, how they're formed, how to identify them, and some general ways to make efforts towards healing them. I know I only speak for myself, but I would guess that many of your other listeners would enjoy listening to and benefiting from an episode about attachment scars as well. Well, I am very, very grateful that you asked me this question. And so that is what this podcast episode is going to be all about. Similarly to how I introduced the wounds in the Finding Peace workbook, which is available on Amazon, I'm going to share some stories with you about the wounds. So when we look at the Finding Peace model, it always starts out with the middle circle with you. If you can imagine that there's a yin and yang, and on one side we have peace, and on the other side we have pain. And whenever I ask the question, how many of you have so much peace in your life that there isn't room for more? Really, nobody except for one dude has ever raised his hand and said, yeah, I have so much peace that I don't have room for more. The majority of people say, no, I could use a little bit more peace. The challenge is that on the other side of that yin and yang is pain. And we live in a world where there's a lot of pain. There is a lot of suffering. You can watch the news. You can walk down the street of your community. You can see suffering pretty much everywhere you go. And so part of the challenge is figuring out how do you find peace and joy, and love, and connection, and happiness, even though there is pain all around you? And that is, that is the question that the workbook Finding Peace and this podcast Finding Peace really seeks to answer. How do you find peace amid the pain? One of the things that I have discovered in doing the work that I do as a therapist, as an educator, as a social worker, is that the things that cause us the most pain on this planet are connected to relationships. We are wired to be connected. Physiologically, 
socially, emotionally, spiritually, neurologically. We are wired to be connected to the people around us, to our family members, to our friends, to society as a whole. We are wired to be connected to each other. It's just how we're made. And when something happens that violates those connections or damages those connections or breaks those connections, that can create what I call attachment wounds or, as the listener referred to them, attachment scars. They're like sunburns. If you've ever had a sunburn, you go to the beach, you forget to put sunblock on, And so the next day you have to go to work or you have to interact with people and you, so you still have to live your life, right? So you're beat red and you're really, really in a lot of pain and you're cautious. You don't want anybody at all to come anywhere near you because they might accidentally bump up against you and, and accidentally like pat them, pat you on the shoulder and say, Hey, Troy, how's it going? And immediately as they do that, like there is so much pain because they just hit your sunburn and you're like, oh my gosh, that hurts so freaking bad. And you're going to pull away from that person. Or you might even push them away because the pain is so incredibly painful. So when that happens, like that's the immediate visceral reaction. And that's what these wounds are like. They are there. You can still function, you can do all the things that you need to do, but over the course of your life, it's likely that you have developed one or two or maybe many of these wounds. You can still do the things that you need to do, you can still interact with people and have a lot of fun, but sometimes something even very minor might bump up against this wound, and when it does, it creates this visceral reaction in your body. And you'll want to pull away. You want to pull away from that person. You want to disconnect from that person because you don't want the pain to continue or you'll be angry and you want to push them away as a way of like getting away from me. I, you hurt me. I don't want that feeling to be felt anymore. But oftentimes we're not aware that it's these attachment wounds that are being hit. And so we react in ways that we really regret later. And we react in ways that we feel bad for how we reacted later. And we don't understand that there was a reason why we were reacting to it. It was a trauma-based reaction. And if we could actually pay attention to the wound and realize that we've been telling ourselves a story about who we are because of these things that have happened to us, and if we can change that story and we can do some wound care to help heal that wound a little bit, then the next time that somebody bumps up against one of those wounds that we have, there's not the same reaction. In fact, we handle it completely differently. We handle it in a more loving, compassionate, inviting way. And that is part of the vision and mission of the finding peace work that we do, is helping people identify what the wounds are, helping them tell a different story about themselves because of what has happened to them, one that is more meaningful, more helpful, more inspiring, more truth-based, and then healing the wound itself so that they don't have to continue to react in that same way. That is the goal. So what are the wounds? Well, there's six of them. There's loss, neglect, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, and abuse. And I'm going to tell some stories about some of the wounds. I'm going to just define some of the wounds. And hopefully by the end of the podcast, you'll have a little bit better understanding of what these attachment wounds are. If you want to do a deeper dive into them, or if you want to do a wound assessment to figure out what wounds you might have, you can do so by going to Amazon and picking up your copy of the Finding Peace workbook which has a copy of the wound assessments in chapter one. So let's tackle loss. One of my favorite memories growing up was playing with my grandmother's flabby arms. She was always skinny, but as she got older, her skin began to hang down and 
when I would snuggle up to her on the couch as she was either watching her Lawrence Welk show or she was filling out a crossword puzzle or a word search puzzle or something, I would just snuggle up next to her and I would take my little hand and I would flap my fingers back and forth against her skin right under her bicep. And I just thought that that was the most fun thing. And I loved the smell of ivory soap that she smelled like. It was just a soft skin and it would just flap. I'm pretty sure that my grandmother did not appreciate me flapping her skin, but it's one of my favorite memories growing up. As I got a little older and I would go visit my grandmother, I knew that something wasn't quite right because she began to tell the same story over and over and over again. She would tell a story, a cute story, about how she and my grandfather would go get ice cream. They had an ice cream store that was just down the street from their house, and how every night, as like kind of like their own date or whatever, they would go down there and they would get some ice cream, and she would say how she'd need to hurry and lick it really quick before it would melt on their way back home. And then about five minutes later, as we were talking, she would tell the exact same story. And then in about five minutes after that, she would tell the same story again. And I started to realize, as did my mom and her sisters and, and my grandpa, that something wasn't quite right. And later on, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And as her Alzheimer's progressed, she eventually was put into a nursing home because it wasn't really safe for her anymore being in the home with my grandfather. There were some stairs in the home that my grandmother could have fallen down and she could wander around and and uh, just it just wasn't safe for her. And so she ended up being in this nursing home where she was very well taken care of. I had moved away by then. I had moved on to go get my master's in social work and I was now living in Yuma, Arizona, which was 15 hours away from where my grandmother lived. And I happened to be visiting family one summer, and I wanted to go visit my grandma. So I'm sitting here knee to knee with her, and as I look at her, even skinnier now than she was when I was a little boy playing with her flabby skin, she looks at me, but she doesn't see me. There's this emptiness in her eyes. She doesn't even really know that I'm there. I speak with her gently. Her eyes move in my direction, but I can tell that there is really no recognition of who I am or even if I'm even there. It's like there's this vacancy happening. I began to sing a hymn. My grandmother used to always come hear me sing when I was a little boy and she would hear me sing in church and she'd come to my choir concerts and she came to my high school musicals and in my community theater musicals she would come and she liked to hear me sing and so I thought it might be nice to sing a song for her and so I began to sing a song and a little light came in her eyes and she saw me and she smiled and I think she saw me for a minute and then the light went out and the face went blank. I tell her, Grandma, I love you. And she says, I love you too. But I'm not sure she really even knows who I am. I sit with her a little longer, knowing that this will be the last time that I see her alive. And I wrap my arms around her and feel her skeleton and her cold skin, and I give her a hug, knowing that this will be the last hug that I get to give her. She doesn't hug me back, not like she used to do when I was a little boy, and she'd give me a huge hug and tell me how much she loved me as I was leaving her house. She's staring off at nothing. I feel so sad that I'm leaving, that I'm saying goodbye. I want to stay a little longer, but I have to go. 
and so I'm leaving. But I know that later on that night, my grandpa will be by and he's going to have ice cream with her. That is the loss wound. The loss wound is a wound that happens oftentimes when somebody close to you passes away. It can be more than that though, but oftentimes the, the loss wound comes when you have somebody who's in your life and then, and then they're not there, but it's not because they did anything on purpose. It's just a part of life. So in this case, my grandmother passed away and there's a huge loss wound. I, I miss her tremendously. Other loss wounds include growing up like in a military family where every three years you have to move and you have to meet new friends and say goodbye to old friends. And so every three years you're saying goodbye to new people. It's not that anybody's doing that to you particularly, but there is a loss there. So it's different than the other wounds because it's not being inflicted on you the way that others are being inflicted, but it is still a part of life. And depending on the type of loss or how it happened, this can have a profound impact on somebody's life. In fact, the most recent update of the DSM-5, which is the book that therapists use to help come up with diagnoses, the really the one of the major changes in the update was that they had a diagnosis for prolonged grief when somebody is really, really struggling with the loss of somebody and it's lasted for longer than a year. Loss can have a profound impact on people's lives. And so that is the first wound. The second wound is neglect. Now there's the child protective services version of neglect where there's like three kids in the home and mom and dad are gone. Like they're strung out on drugs. They've been gone for three days. Nobody knows where mom and dad are because they're high somewhere and there's no food in the house. And one of the kids is like has a poopy diaper and nobody's changed it. And the kids are like wearing really dirty clothes and, and there's like, there's nothing in the house and, and they just don't have their basic needs being met. That's, a version of neglect and that is a profound version of neglect that can have an impact on children's lives especially as they grow up that wound of neglect can be severe but think about neglect being kind of like on a spectrum and on the other side of the spectrum neglect still exists but in this case there are kids that have their food they have food in their house they have clothes on their back they have a roof over their heads Maybe they even have transportation. Their parents take them to school and all those kind of things. But when they need emotional attention, mom and dad are just too busy. They're too busy. They're working too much. They may even hire somebody else to provide the care for them. And again, I'm not saying this to be judgmental. This is just a, a form of neglect where... They are trying to get their emotional needs met, and yet the adults in their house are not meeting their emotional needs. They're meeting all their physical needs. They have food, shelter, clothes, all of those things. But when they need a hug, when they need some a shoulder to cry on, when they need someone to listen to them when they're frustrated and angry, the adults in their life are too busy for them, and therefore they just they don't get that need met. And so the child comes to believe that no one really is going to be there for me. Um, I, I can't really depend on other people to f get my needs met. I'm going to have to figure out how to do that myself. So that is the second wound of neglect. Uh, there's a book by Enod Gray called Neglect the Silent Abuser. And it does a deeper dive into that particular wound of how neglect can really have a profoundly negative impact in somebody's life. So if you have experienced that kind of wound in your life, you may find that her book is helpful for you to understand what neglect has done for you in your life. The next wound is rejection. I'm standing on the soccer field of my middle school. I'm in gym and we are playing soccer. 
I am the goalie for my team. And I am so grateful that the boys on my team are really good at soccer because that means that they are on the other end of the soccer field. I'm on this end. I'm by the goalie. I'm by the goalpost. They are on the other end. They can keep the ball down there because honestly, I am horrible at sports. I have never played sports very well. I don't know how to kick a ball. I don't know how to catch a ball. I don't know how to throw a ball. Me and balls just, we're not friends. So for some reason, I get I got called to be the goalie, which as I've understood soccer a little bit better, that's actually a pretty important position to play. But for the purposes of playing middle school, it's just me on one side of the field and all the boys on the other side of the field. And I'm so happy. I'm just like, y'all stay down there, please just stay down there because I, I know what's going to happen if the ball comes to me. I'm going to miss it, and the other team's going to get a goal, and everybody's going to be mad. So just y'all, y'all just keep the ball down on the other side of the field. Please, please, please. So I'm standing there. I'm, I'm kind of looking up at the sun. I'm looking at the blue sky and the kind of the clouds in the sky. I can smell the grass has been mowed and just enjoying that and just kind of looking off into Nowheresville, not really paying attention to the boys down at the other end, when all of a sudden I feel this tug at my gym shorts and I look down at my feet and my pants and my underwear are all the way down to the ground. And I look behind me and there's these two boys that have just depends to me and they're running off and they're laughing. And I quickly pull my pants back up and I want to laugh I want to think that this is just a joke, just a one-time thing, but I know that it's not because I know what's going to happen when I get to the locker room. I know what's going to happen because it happens every day after gym is over. We're supposed to go back to the locker room and we're supposed to change out of our gym clothes and get back into our regular clothes, and then we will line up on the staircase waiting for the bell to ring so that we can go to our next class. And every day, as we are lining up on the staircase, there's nowhere to go. I am surrounded by these boys. Several of them will begin to call me names like faggot, femme, fudge packer, names that I don't really even understand what it means but I can tell that they don't like me. And the message that I'm getting is that there's something wrong with me, that I'm not man enough, or that there's just something about me that they don't like. And I don't quite know what it is, but it's quite obvious that they don't like me. And sometimes one of them will try to punch me and sometimes they succeed. And so they are standing around me and they're calling me the same names that they call me every time. The names that I don't understand with the names that hurt. And then the bell rings and I can't get out of there fast enough. And it's the end of school and I am going to leave. I'm going to get home as fast as I can. And so I begin to run home. But I know that I'm going to be followed because that's what happens every day after school. These boys will follow me home and they will chase me. And so I have had to learn how to run really, really fast and find ways to hide so that they don't see me. And this particular day, I run into the backyard of a lady from church and I'm hiding back there. And she comes out and she's asking me, what am I doing back there? Why, why am I back there? And I can tell that she's not really happy with me being in her backyard. And how do I tell her that I'm, I'm being bullied and, and that these boys are trying to chase me? I don't want her to like do anything. I don't want her to call my mom. I don't want her to call my dad. I, I, and so I'm just like, I'm sorry. Like I was like, just kind of like some boys were being mean. And so it's just hiding here. And, and she's like, well, you can't, you can't be back here. You gotta go. And so I, I leave. And by that time, the boys have disappeared. I feel safe enough to go back home. I see this couple, probably high schoolers, they're making out on the corner. And uh, they look like they're having a good time. I go home. No one's home yet. 
siblings aren't home from school yet, so it's just me. And I go into my room and I pick up a Sherlock Holmes book and I begin to read. And I wonder whether tonight I'm going to kill myself. That is a rejection wound. A rejection wound is created when you are told by someone or someones that there's something wrong with you, that you're not enough, that you're not wanted, that you don't belong here, that you are excluded, you are pushed away, you're told that you don't belong. And depending on how often that happens or the severity of that, that wound can be very deep and it can create some core beliefs about who we are, that we're not enough, that there's something seriously wrong with us. It echoes the message that we're being told by the people who are rejecting us. The next wound is abandonment. For the purposes of this story, the names have been changed for privacy reasons. Ray has gone into labor. She is being rushed down the hospital hallway. She's laying there on the gurney and she's watching the fluorescent lights as they pass over her head. She has nurses and others around her as they are rushing her down to the delivery room because she is about ready to go into labor. She knew that this day was coming from the moment that she found out that she was pregnant. And yet, now is the time. She doesn't even know what kind of child she's going to have. Is she going to have a boy? Is she going to have a girl? She hasn't really given herself permission to even think about naming this baby. Because when she told the father of the baby that she was pregnant, he told her that if they got married, he was going to beat her every night. And she knew that there was no way in the world that she was going to be willing to bring this baby into the world in an abusive home. And so she has made the courageous decision to put this baby up for adoption. She's been carrying this baby for nine months. The baby inside her has heard her heartbeat, has listened to her voice, has listened to her talk. If she sang, the baby heard her sing. If she breathed, the baby listened to her breathe. The baby has listened to her tummy grumbling. This baby has literally been connected to her for the last nine months. She's felt the baby kicking. She felt the baby moving around. And now it is time for the baby to be born. And she doesn't know what's going to happen to this baby or what kind of future this baby is going to have. She just knows that she cannot bring this baby into the world as a single mom with a father who's an alcoholic who quite possibly would be abusive. She just knew that that was not something that she could do. And so as the doctors and nurses are pushing her down the hall, her mind is racing almost as fast as the lights are going over her head. And she is pulled in to the delivery room in order to have the baby. As soon as the baby comes out, the nurses grab that little baby bundle and move it over to the table to start cleaning it up, washing it off, washing away all the the blood and guck that's on top of it and to cut the umbilical cord and just to do all the things to get it ready after being born. She hears the cry as the baby takes its first breath. She has no idea whether it's a boy or a girl and the nurses are not going to tell her because this is a closed adoption and she's not supposed to know anything about the baby. But it just so happens that there's a mirror that's been placed in the room in just the right angle that is pointed down at where they are caring for the baby with that angle just being exactly where it needs to be. And so Ray can see where that baby is and she can see that it is 
my baby boy. And as soon as the baby boy has been cleaned up and washed off, the nurses wrap him up in a bundle and whisk him out of the room. And she never has a chance to say goodbye. She doesn't know what will happen to him. She doesn't know where he will be placed or what kind of family will be put in. She just knows that she made the decision that she felt was best for him. The baby will stay in the nursery for five days until his adoptive parents will come pick him up. Ray will have left the hospital well before then to go home and look out her window every Valentine's Day and wonder what happened to that little boy. As you might have guessed, because I said it was Valentine's Day, that little boy was me. And the wound that I am talking about is abandonment. Abandonment is when somebody was in your life and then all of a sudden they weren't. And there was no explanation. There was no reason why that person was gone. And it caused the deep wounds. Now I recognize that the decision my birth mother made to give me up for adoption was one of the most courageous decisions that she has made in her life. And I recognize that she did not abandon me. And yet that moment when my umbilical cord was severed from her and we were separated, me going in one room and her in the other, very much was a wound of loss and abandonment. That wound has been repaired somewhat as I've had the opportunity to meet my birth mother much later on in life and understand why she made the decisions that she made, the courageous, beautiful decisions that she made. The wound of abandonment doesn't always have that kind of a happy ending. The wound of abandonment is left oftentimes without any answers, without any clarification as to why these things happened or why the person is no longer in your life. They leave. There's no closure. There's no explanation. It's just empty thoughts. And what happens is that because of those, that emptiness, that lack of understanding, the person will tend to make up reasons for why they were abandoned. And oftentimes, the reasons are not grounded in any sense of truth. Their reasons are not grounded in any sense of reality. But they come up with these conclusions because they don't really have any answers. And that's one of the challenges with the wound of abandonment is that there usually isn't any explanation as to why it happened. And so the person is left without any true understanding of it. And so they have to come up with their own conclusions. The next wound is betrayal. When I was a senior in high school, I had a very good friend. He had been my best friend since the 10th grade. I'm not going to share his name because I want to respect his privacy. But he had been my very, very best friend since the 10th grade. I was at his house every day of the week. He had brothers and sisters that I loved and his family became like a second family to me. They literally saved my life. When I discussed those feelings of suicide earlier, those were true feelings. Feelings that I battled with almost every day for a very long time until I met my friend in the 10th grade. 
and he was just so kind to me and so loving to me. And he and I became the best of friends. We were attached at the hip everywhere we went. We were connected to each other and I loved him. He was like a brother to me. As we entered into 12th grade and we're getting ready to move on with our lives, he fell in love with a girl. And as you know, what usually happens when somebody falls in love, all the other relationships that they have tend to kind of become less important for them. And that's exactly what happened with him. He became very, very much involved with her. All of his time was spent with her, going on dates and spending money with her and, and all the things that were going on with her. Because of that, my wound of abandonment was triggered pretty badly. I felt like he had left me. And so being the lack of emotionally intelligent teenager that I was, I wrote this satire about this man who had a girlfriend and how all the girls in the in the country just loved him and they were always fawning over him and just thought he was freaking amazing and so handsome and his best friend the sultan who he had been uh, friends with since they were children was tossed to the side and the woman became the queen i honestly don't even remember the rest of the story but it was not very vague. It was really clear what in the heck that story was really about. And then I gave it to him. It was probably 10 pages long. It hurt him really badly. And our relationship changed from that moment on. He was not as interactive with me. He continued to be friends with her and I lost a friend. And then we graduated from high school and life happened and we moved away from each other. And it wasn't for about 20 years that I saw him again. I lost contact with him and finally I found him on Facebook and we happened to meet one day. He, he actually was in San Diego and he drove over to Yuma and we went to dinner and it was so wonderful to be with him. And I told him, how much I was sorry for writing that letter. Now, I don't know if he actually didn't remember or if he was just being gracious, but he says that he didn't remember. But I remember. I remember feeling so much pain for how my behavior, my pain, my hurt had led me to behave in such a way that I betrayed my friend's trust. And that is the next attachment wound which is betrayal. Betrayal happens when we behave in a way that violates the trust of somebody else or somebody behaves in a way that violates our trust. So they cheat on us, they lie to us, they take credit for something that we did, they are dishonest. And depending on the severity of that betrayal, that can be traumatic. We talk about betrayal trauma that's a real type of wound. Like that trust is shattered and the chances of that ever being put back together are really, really small. Even if trust can be regained, it never is regained back to 100% again, usually. And so that is the fifth of the six attachment wounds betrayal. And it can have devastating effects on how we live our lives. The last wound is abuse. And if you've ever read the Finding Peace workbook, you'll notice that for every one of the other wounds in the Finding Peace workbook, one of the characters tells a story about that particular wound and how it happened and how it got started. Nobody shares their story about abuse. The truth is the person who would have shared their story in the book, her name is Maria. And Maria has some devastating wounds of abuse. She was locked in a closet several times when she was growing up by her siblings. She was sexually abused by her father and 
siblings. She was physically abused by others in her neighborhood and her father and others. She was kidnapped. So Maria has some severe wounds. The reason why I don't describe those in very much detail is usually by the time we've gotten to the betrayal wound, everybody's already been triggered. Right at the beginning of the book, there's this big notification that says, hey, you might be triggered when you're reading this book. So please take your time. Please slow down. Please know that you might be triggered. So I was cautious about going into a lot of detail about somebody's abuse wound because I knew that that could be really, really triggering for somebody. I got feedback from somebody who has some severe abuse wounds and said that the message that they got was that it wasn't okay for them to share their wounds. Like we could talk about all the other five wounds, but that it, because I didn't mention and go into detail about the abuse wound, that that meant that we couldn't really go into detail about the abuse wound. And I felt really bad that that was the message that the person got because that is definitely not the message that I want to send. The abuse wound is created when somebody is physically abused, beaten, hurt, cut. Somebody causes physical harm to another person or they're sexually abused. Somebody is doing something sexually to another person or they are spiritually abused. Basically, the abuse wound is somebody is taking their woundedness out on you and they are purposely inflicting harm. There's an intent with this wound. The person causing the abuse, there's an intent behind it. And so that can be a very profound and very deep wound in and of itself. By no means do I want to minimize that wound. I want to honor that that wound can be profoundly traumatic in a person's life. I wanted to recognize the reader and try to not trigger them any further than they might already be triggered by not going into a lot of detail about Maria's specific wounds. But they do exist. And in therapy, with a qualified licensed therapist in your area, that is a place where you can go and you can tell your story and you can be heard and you can be believed and you can have validation that that abuse shouldn't have happened and that it wasn't your fault and that you matter and that you are worthy of love and belonging. So if anybody got the message that it's not okay to talk about abuse because Maria did not want to talk about her abuse in the group, then please forgive me. Truth be told, Maria didn't feel safe talking about her wounds in group yet. There needed to be more safety pumped into that group. That was the very first and second nights of group. Full disclosure, none of these people are real, okay? None of the characters in the book are real. They are based on a conglomerate of experiences that either me or other people who I've met have had in their lives, but none of the actual people in the book are real. But Maria did not feel safe to share her trauma yet. And that's important. Like you need to be able to feel safe in order to be able to talk about your abuse, to talk about the things that have happened to you in a place that you'll be heard and valued and respected. And so... That is why she doesn't. That does not mean that you shouldn't. If you have someone who's willing to listen and hold space and let you know that they believe you, there is so much healing that can happen from that. Abuse is the sixth of the six attachment wounds. And so those are all six. Loss, neglect, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, and abuse. And as the, the person who asked the question said, what are some things that we can do to move towards healing them? And the first thing that you can do is identify what the wound is. I used to work in a hospital when somebody had a wound. They had specialized wound care nurses that would come in and look at what that wound was and take pictures of it and measure it. And, and they would come up with a 
plan of how they were going to help heal this wound, how they would be able to create the most conducive environment to help this wound heal to its best ability. And so they would identify to what it was, and then based on what it was, that gave them some direction of how they might heal it. And that's the same with attachment wounds. Once we're able to identify what is my wound, it gives me a direction of how I might be able to heal it. If you think about what the opposite of these wounds are, it gives you an idea of something that you might be able to turn to to help get some of the healing you need from each of these wounds. So for the opposite of loss, for example, is comfort, assurance. So when I'm watching my grandma slowly pass away, what I really needed is just someone to put their arm around me and say, I know. I see that she's going away and I'm sad with you and it's going to be okay. I'm with you and I love you and it's going to be okay. That sense of comfort, that reassurance, that goes a long way when we're dealing with a loss wound. The opposite of neglect is attention. Having somebody pay attention to me and helping me get my needs met. So when I'm noticing that my neglect wound is being stirred up, that's an indication that I might have some needs that are not being met. And so I can turn to some of the people in my life that I love and I can be vulnerable enough to say, hey, I'm feeling pretty neglected right now. I'm feeling kind of lonely and I just need someone to listen. Can you, can you listen to me? Can you spend some time with me? Can we go play a game? Can we, can we go for a walk? Can you just do something and be there with me and and pay attention and listen to me. The opposite of rejection is acceptance. Oftentimes when my rejection wound is being hit and I feel the shame that comes along with it, the message that gets activated for me is that there is something seriously wrong with me and that I'm not enough. What do I need during that time is a sense of acceptance. And sometimes it's really hard for me to find that within myself. And so I might need a little bit of help. And so I'll reach out to a friend and I'll say, hey, I'm not doing well right now. I'm really struggling with shame and I'm feeling like I'm not enough. Can you remind me of what you see that's good in me? Can you remind me of why you love me? That may sound incredibly needy, but seriously, that is one of the ways that we take care of the rejection wound. And oftentimes that person loves to be able to say that. And they're so grateful to be able to say what they see in me and they'll do the same for me they'll call me up and they'll ask and they'll tell me and i will say the same because i love to tell them how much i'm grateful for them and the blessing that they are in my life and that i accept them wholeheartedly the next wound is abandonment and similar to neglect what we need during that time is presence i need someone to be there with me don't leave reassure me that you're going to be around, that you're going to be here with me, that you're interested in, that you're going to spend some time with me and that you're going you're gonna to be there. This wound for me is still pretty tender sometimes and there's a lot of shame that comes up. And so I'm often telling my friends like, dude, I'm so afraid that I'm going to be so needy that you're going to get sick and tired of me. And I know that that's shame right there. I totally know it. But that's what's coming up for me. And the friend will say like, I get it. I get it. I have that wound too. I'm not going anywhere. You can know. Now, I know that's not really freaking needy. And I'm still working on getting to a place where I don't need to reach out and say to the person, please don't leave me. And I've gotten a lot better. That's that whole process, right? The finding peace process, learning how to be in the wound of abandonment and yet also be at peace, like everything's going to be okay. That's the process. We're all working on how to do that. And part of that is being vulnerable and reaching out and telling somebody what's going on and letting them love on you. Re the opposite of betrayal is trust. We need people who are going to show up in our life, who are trustworthy, that are going to tell us the truth, that are going to be honest, that are not going to lie. We need that as a way of being able to help heal the betrayal that we've experienced in our life. And the opposite of abuse is compassion and kindness and boundaries. We need to be able to have people respect our boundaries and they will understand that when we say no, we mean no. And they will be able to understand that and not get angry 
but they can have that compassion and say, I get it and I am willing to support you and that I love you and you are worth being treated with dignity and respect. So the way to heal attachment wounds is through connection. That really is the only way that you can heal them is through connection, reaching out and getting them connected with other people and within ourself, connecting with the truth within ourself and finding ways to reassure ourselves, to love on ourselves, to show up for ourselves, to be present with ourselves, and also to ask the people in our lives to do the same. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Finding Peace podcast. You can learn more about this process by going to Amazon and getting your own copy of the Finding Peace workbook. We also have retreats that come up about every six months that you can also go to by going to findingpeaceconsulting.com. Or we also have online courses that do a little bit deeper dive as part of this journey of understanding how in the world do we heal these attachment wounds. Regardless of the path you take, I would love to be able to be a part of this journey with you and help you find greater peace, joy, and love in your life because you are totally worthy of love and belonging. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal ideation or feelings around suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. They are available 24 hours a day and are available to speak to you in English and Spanish. They also have the ability to text as well. If you know someone who has experienced sexual assault and would like to be connected with a trained staff member from a sexual assault service provider in your area, please visit rainn.org or call the hotline at 800-656-HOPE or 800-656-4673. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you love the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to findingpeaceconsulting.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace 5-Day Challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a 5-star rating. It really does help other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. And a special thanks to Johnny Porter for producing the show and A.G. Flux for the new background music. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.